Welcome to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Yet another action-packed week and a lot to talk about. And yes, we do say every week is action-packed, but this one has had a lot happening, starting with the IPL, FA Cup action, upcoming Formula 1 races. We've got it all, but as usual, here's Ayaz. Thanks, Mr. Fantastic. And uh, I'll, I'll restrict myself, of course, to the IPL. We've had some fantastic action happening in the last week. And, you know, I, I think this is heading for a rousing climax. I mean, the climax is still more than a month away. But the kind of matches that we've seen, the close contests, the surprise results, is just making it uh, enthralling to watch, I must say. Absolutely. And let's start with the big elephant in the room, which... Uh... Well, is now being acknowledged by everyone. The Mumbai Indians have now lost six on the trot. And most expected that two, three, four, okay, they'll start winning at some point. But do you even think it's likely they'll win anything this season? Well, I think they'll be most likely they'll end up playing spoil sport with one or maybe two teams because they've got some matches still remaining. It's not such a weak team, it's just a team which has played very poorly. Uh, and I think some part of it is to do with the uh, what, in my opinion, has been the flawed uh, rationale or logic used in the mega auction. They let go of players who had been uh, long-standing match winners for them, like Quinton DeCock and Trent Bolt. And then they've, uh, I, I think they've just not been able to get onto the park and perform with any kind of cohesiveness. If I have to put my finger on one thing which has really hurt them the most, it has to be Rohit Sharma and Karen Pollard, their poor form. One is, you know, undoubtedly one of the greatest openers in this format. In fact, in, in any white ball cricket, Rohit has just not got going. So, Mumbai is just not getting the start that they want. And Karen Pollard, one of the greatest finishers of all time, just not able to finish a match on, on a positive note for his team. Absolutely. And what do you think about their bowling decisions? You know, Jaspreet Bumrah is probably the best fast bowler around, especially in white ball. And he's not opening the bowling for the last couple of matches at least. Is there something we don't know or what's the strategy there? Well, clearly we don't know what the logic is because, you know, if, if you don't have Trent Bolt, you don't have some of the others, you don't even have a Hardik Pandya who was with you uh, for so many years then you might as well or you should open with your best bowler. Uh, look, I think I think it's a confounding situation for the captain, for Rohit Sharma, because he knows that his, his team is weak. The bowling has also not been performing to, uh, to potential. And he does not want or he hopes not to get lynched towards the end in the death over the lowest numbers, 17, 18, 19, 20. So he's preserving a lot of, uh, you know, giving Bumrah maybe one over at the start somewhere, third or fourth over, and then keeping him for the last bit. And that's not working to, to the team's advantage. Well, let's hope that the Mumbai Indians can come back, show some signs of being the old powerhouse that they really are. Speaking of powerhouses, the Chennai Super Kings had a equally disastrous start to their campaign, but then uh, there were some green shoots with their win over the Royal Challengers Bangalore, and then they lost again. And I, I think this is a team that's struggling with leadership issues, despite having the likes of MS Dhoni, uh, Stephen Fleming, both of them long time in the Chennai camp. But Jadeja just seems to be completely on his own and looks lost, to be honest. Yes, he does look lost and he's struggling for uh, to establish his own credentials as a, as a match-winning all-rounder. So that's compounding the agony for himself as well as his team. Two things have happened here, I think, fantastic, which have a bearing perhaps on the result or the results that we've seen so far. One is that, like Mumbai, they let go of players like Faf Duplessis, Shardul Thakur, Josh Hazelwood, 
who helped them you know win the title last season they've also had a, a bit of a problem in or a major problem in losing the services of deepak chahar who was their premier bowler last season he's been actually india's best bowler in this format for a while but he's been injured he's out of the season completely that's a very difficult uh, slot to you know fill or uh, he's a very difficult player to replace then they they had at least in the first five matches rutraj gaikwad who was one of their star batsmen the previous season just not getting going uh, he made runs in the last match against gujarat giants but it was of, it went in vain because gujarat giants came back astonishingly to win that match but we'll talk about that later i think where chennai is suffering is people like mohin ali not really living up to his reputation jadeja i have talked about ambati raidu on and off not consistently good so they are having a, a, a bit of a problem and i think the other issue which you mentioned about the captain captaincy and is linked to that is just 2 days before the tournament ms dhoni decided that he won't captain the team now maybe he had informed them earlier the franchise and the players etc but it seems to have kind of become a huge it become a millstone around jadeja's neck it it appears to me from the outside so what has happened is they are relying very heavily on a veteran like robin uttappa on shivam dube who's been around for a while Uh, but he's not been amongst the star players or the big guns of the league, and the bowling is falling apart. You know, Chris Jordan, the way he was mauled, taken apart uh, by David Miller and Rashid Khan of all the people. That is a match which uh, actually CSK should have won after five wickets had fallen for Gujarat Titans. Gujarat not playing or Gujarat without Hardik Pandya, despite that, still going on to win. Of course, in a way, it shows the great strength and the the resources available for Gujarat. but it also shows up chennai super kings in poor light yeah and you know you'd think uh, i'm just drawing a parallel here from say other sporting leagues around the world in the premier league if a team or a manager went four five six games uh, without a win he'll probably be sacked you know in the premier league i can assure you it's happened more than once in just the last few years where a, a big team started out poorly and the manager paid the price for it Do you think that sort of reaction is warranted in in a league like the IPL? I think it'll happen sooner than we think. I mean, of course, here we are dealing with you know a lot of holy cows and some really established players. Stephen Fleming, for many seasons, he's been a pillar of strength for CSK. So to MS Dhoni, but now it's getting more competitive. Now it's getting the stakes are higher. This is the year in which the T20 World Cup will be played. People are. players owners are all looking at this tournament not to mention the indian selectors they all looking at this tournament with a lot of interest and you know focus so i think uh, very adverse results which seem to have no finish they are not ending are not going to be taken lightly absolutely well let's talk a bit about the gujarat titans and their fantastic start six plays 5-1 and hardik pandya seems to have taken to captaincy like a fish to water and how much of a role do you think is gary kirsten playing in this well uh, i'm sure he must be playing some role he is a seasoned not just a, a former player of vast experience but even as a coach and as a mentor he's got a he's got some fantastic credentials remember he was part of the or he was the coach of the indian team which won the 2011 world cup under ms dhoni so he obviously knows a thing or two about managing team managing players managing the egos and also what it takes to become a win- winning combination keeping winning the title Uh, as the focus uh, you know right through that is the difficult part for most teams in a tournament this long that you have to sustain not just form but also your focus sustainability is really the crucial word in this tournament and that seems to be working really well for gujarat 
tightened so far. I think what is also clear is that in the auctions, they made some really smart buys. I mean, getting Rashid Khan was, before the auction, of course, was a coup. Uh, Hardik Pandya, there were people, you know, who saw it with some amount of cynicism, even misgivings that, hey, you know, he's lived under the shadow of Rohit Sharma and in a big marquee franchise like Mumbai Indian, which is a, you know, a massive tent where all kinds of people reside and whether he'll be able to manage the team or not. He's had his controversies in the past. But I think Hardik has come across brilliantly. And I think the responsibility or the, the, the burden of uh, captaincy has really worked to his advantage because what it has imposed on him is that he has to play as an all-rounder, which means he has to bat and he has to bowl. And he's bowling, apart from the match he didn't play in, he's been bowling his four overs in every match. He's been making runs. He's been he's leading from the front. He's the match winner. He's the captain. And in doing all of this, he's leading his team to victories, which is also good music for Rahul Ravid and Rohit Sharma and the selectors. Because Hardik Pandya, if he's in form and if he is, you know, he's the crucial X factor that the Indian T20 team has been missing for a year, year and a half because he was injured or he was in rehab and it was taking forever. Remember, even in the last T20 World Cup, while he was part of the squad and he did play as a batsman, he didn't bowl, maybe except in one match. And because he didn't bowl, it upset the balance of the team and it, he got a lot of flack for that. So did the selectors. So things seem to be falling in place for him, for Gujarat Titans. And I think in the distance, even for India, if he can maintain this form. Absolutely. Well, that's a team to beat right now, apart from the other newcomers, the Lucknow Super Giants, who've also had a fairly strong start to their season. Uh, the middle of the table is starting to look very cramped, and it could be a situation in the next couple of weeks where we see a couple of clear runaway leaders, and then a very, very cramped uh, mid-table battle happening with Mumbai and Chennai bringing up the rear, unless they have a massive, massive change of fortune very quickly. Well, yes. I mean, Mumbai and Chennai are a big threat to the table toppers or the front runners right now. You know, teams like Gujarat Titans, Lucknow Super Giants, uh, Sunrises Hyderabad, in my opinion, last week's the best performing team in the last 7, 8, 10 days. They won four matches on the trot. Who would have thought in their first two matches, they looked so niggardly, so poor, that everybody thought that they might end up maybe, you know, even winless and they would match Mumbai and Chennai. Uh, being laggards in this tournament. But hey, they've just turned it around brilliantly. Uh, four matches is more, one more than what they had won in the entire season last year. I think what's working for them is that, you know, the batting has come good. The overseas component, Aiden Markram and uh, Nicholas Puran has been doing extremely well. Williamson yet to fire with the bat, but he's obviously a very accomplished captain and a very strong leader. I think they're also benefiting a lot uh, from... Uh, you know, having people like Bhuvneshwar Kumar, who's a veteran with the team. He knows the culture of the dugout. He knows the other players. He's formed a good combination uh, with all the other fast bowlers. Natrajan doing extremely well. And I think the star, of course, of the show has been young Umran Malik, consistently clocking 150-plus, rattling opposing batsmen, including the likes of Hardik Pandya and Shreyas Ayer and some of the others who are regulars in the Indian team. He's, he's been attracting all the headlines and the attention, and for good reason. So, Sunrisers Hyderabad, they've surged ahead. RCB, they're also on eight points, which is, you know, which is a very good position to be in. But they looked a little wobbly. They haven't looked convincing enough. I think they're still seeking runs from their big players, Faf Duplessis and Virat Kohli. They've got Dinesh Karthik. He's become talismanic for the way in which he has performed. Six matches, six innings, five times not out, 197 runs, strike rate of 210 
good lord i mean this he's just been outrage in outrageously good form and he's actually now knocking hard uh, on the yeah he's making no bones about that he's being very open saying i'm trying to do everything i can to get back into the indian team so yeah he's got a very clear focus he's got a very clear focus and the fact is that he's living up to what he wants to do that's the important part everybody wants to get into the indian team some guys are making it count and hardik pandya and dinesh karthik and i would name one more over here that is yuzvendra chahal from the guys who were perhaps not top of the mind when the season started have now become top of the mind because of their performance so far in this tournament absolutely uh, i want to quickly chat about some of the top performances of last week and i want to pick i want you to rather pick one you thought was better than the others uh, we've got david miller with his swashbuckling 94 to beat the chennai super kings we've got kl rahul's 100 not out against mumbai hardik pandya's 87 against the royals Robin Uthappa's 88 against the RCB and Shivam Dubey from the same match when the Chennai Super Kings finally looked like they were back. Which would you pick as the best knock in the last week? Well, you know, just for uh, I mean, a century is a century, so I mean, KL Rahul's 100 was fantastic. Uh, but my only compunction would be Mumbai and Chennai have been, you know, struggling teams and they are not really at looking at full strength. So in that context, I would think that Hardik's 87 against Rajasthan Royals, who were front runners then, would be a very it could have a very strong influence on where the team is headed or has already had. Look at the manner in, manner in which David Miller and Rashid Khan batted uh, in in the last match against Chennai Super Kings. It just shows how inspired they are by what their captain is doing. And so for me, actually, uh, Hardik has been the outstanding performer so far of the tournament. in the last few weeks and his batting performance i would i would put ahead of everything else well so hardik pandya wins the award for the performance of this week that's great to hear uh, let's quickly draw attention to a little bit of news coming from around the world joe root has finally stepped down from england's captaincy and uh, to some it seems like it's come a little too late but i think he's had a fairly mixed run of it over the last few years as captain He has. I mean, you know, look, uh, he's not got the results. But when you look back and you wonder who else could have captained in England, because Stokes, Ben Stokes, was there and not there. He was available at times. He was not available at some. Sometimes he was. He was going through a, a mental issues problem, so to speak. So then you had to lean back or fall back on the likes of James Anderson and Stuart Broad, who English selectors were kind of trying to rotate and preserve for Test matches, largely at home. Uh, so I mean, England were in a fix. They didn't have a fallback to Joe Root in case if things didn't work out. I think the 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 the, the straw which broke the camel's back was losing to the West Indies. Uh, you know, I think they kind of absorbed the the humiliating defeat in the Ashes. But to go and lose to West Indies was one <laughs> one humiliation too many. I think, and that's where I think. the pressure mounted on him former captains michael warne michael arthurton nasir hussain all expressing their opinion that joe root must give up the captaincy maybe in with good intention that he'll become an even better batsman and the irony is to fantastic is that actually he has been the best batsman in the world in this period the only rival he's had in the last 12 18 months has been babar azam so it's not for want of runs it's not that the burden of captaincy has affected his batting if anything it seems to have made it better but he's just not getting the results and therefore i think joe root has also decided that you know enough is enough why should i take why should i cop all the blame and uh, i might as well focus on my batting much like virat kohli did uh, though virat didn't get 
uh, Virat was not as poor in the results. Yeah, but that's an interesting parallel. The top two batsmen, arguably in the world over the last few years, have both decided to step away from captaincy jobs and focus on their batting because I, I think they're both at some point also realizing that they don't have all the time left in the world and there is still much left to be achieved. Is that the case? I think so. I think you're absolutely right. I think they've decided that, you know, ultimately they worked for 10-12 years to build up a, uh, you know, tremendous reputation and a record which is statistically imposing for both of them. And then to see, you know, you walk out and if, if you're not convinced that your team or you can deliver as, as, a, as a leader, then you're better off working on uh, to support the team in your capacity as a batsman. Uh, you know, by and large, Mr. Fantastic, countries like India, England, Australia, New Zealand are not given to changing captains too easily. Unlike, say, in Pakistan, uh, where the situation is very mercurial, very volatile, or West Indies, or South Africa, or Bangladesh, and you know all the other countries, you can see you can see the captains being changed every now and then. Uh, South Africa, apart from Graham Smith, have had multiple captains for various reasons. Uh, so to the West Indies, I mean the only parallel I can draw with Joe Root and Virat Kohli of somebody you know of that stature of making runs of that level and then still not able to hold on to the captaincy or wanting to give it up or being replaced was Brian Lara, who in his pomp had to give it up for reasons of uh, you know of controversy or of choice so it's it's long cricketing reasons long cricketing yeah. reasons so i think that both these players these great players and i think there is a certain feeling now on the circuit even amongst the best players that for any captain in this massive hurly burly of international cricket which exists there's test matches there's odis there's t20s there's leagues that you play that you know a 4 5 6 year tenure is like you know, it's already too much. Uh, in the old a days, lifetime for them. It's a lifetime. Maybe it's a couple of lifetimes as a captain. And remember, the captain cops all the negative results or the responsibilities. Uh, so it's something that I think they are now somewhere. They are saying enough is enough. We don't want it. Absolutely. Well, we can't wait to find out who England's next captain will be because it is still a fairly busy international cricketing calendar once the IPL ends. But there's still a lot more sport for us to catch up on. And with all the action from the footballing world, including the FA Cup semi-finals, uh, the Premier League roundup, including Ronaldo's hat-trick, and the Formula One race coming up at Imola, here's Somil Arora. Hey folks, welcome back to this football section on Sports Weekly. And it's a week full of surprising results. It's a week full of big results as well. And firstly, we have to start off with the FA Cup because we finally have two finalists on hand, Chelsea and Liverpool. Now, the first semi-final, Chelsea versus Crystal Palace. Kind of a routine win for Chelsea in a way. They ended up winning 2-0 eventually. And it's been a tough time for them. But to come back and win this one was quite a big result. And it was mostly their academy graduates who kind of set up that win. With Ruben Lotfus-Cheek scoring the first one and Mason Mount getting the second one. So, a great result for them on the whole. And yes, indeed, Lukaku might not have been as involved. You might not see all the other stars having a great match. But at the end of the day, they got the two big goals and that is what matters. So Chelsea, back to winning ways, back to big matches and big results. But the other semi-final, oh my goodness, this was an exciting one. 3-2 to Liverpool. It was against Manchester City. 
And although their match in the Premier League finished 2-all, Liverpool was just able to get the winning edge in this one. And it was all thanks to goals in the first half, actually. Liverpool ended up leading the first half 3-0. City ended up kind of fighting back in the second with one goal by Jack Grealish early in the second half. And then a late, late one by Bernardo Silva. But never was there a scare as such, apart from the final couple of moments, that City would be able to equal us at 3-all and then maybe take this match to extra time. Liverpool were great. They had their learnings from the City match in the Premier League and they were able to just attack that little bit better and have that little bit more sharpness that City kind of lacked in comparison to them. So, great result. And at the end of the day, it kind of sets up an amazing finale with Chelsea versus Liverpool. The way the momentum is going right now, one would have to favour Liverpool for the FA Cup final, but... You never know, right? That's the thing with cup finals. It just ends up being such a dramatic affair with the team you least expect sometimes ending up winning. So that's going to be fun to watch out for. And speaking of least expected winners, we had quite a few of them in the Premier League, mind you. Tottenham lost to Brighton 1-0 in an absolute shocker of a match. It was a late, late winner by Leandro Trossard in the 90th minute, to be very precise. And... Tottenham just had no shots on target. So Brighton, although they were away, they just had a more punchy performance and they got their final blow in the final minutes of the game. An amazing affair, that one. Otherwise, in, on the other side of London as well, Arsenal ended up losing too. That was away to Southampton. Jan Bednarek scored the only goal for Southampton. And it might be a bit of, a, bit of an unusual thing because Bednarek is a centre-back, but that's how things ended up coming together eventually. But Arsenal, at the end of the day, just, just lacked... That sharpness is the only way to put it. Because they had all the control over the game, all the possession, all the dominance, all the chances created in the world. But what's the point if you just can't convert them and get goals? Let me give you a bit of a shocking number. 23 shots for Arsenal, 9 for Southampton. 6 on target for Arsenal, 3 for Southampton. Possession, 76% for Arsenal and only 24 for Southampton. And yet... And yet Southampton maximised the one chance they had to win this match 1-0. So, bit of a shocker for Arsenal. Otherwise, Newcastle United beat Leicester City to one and another shocking result all the way through. And then we can move on to Manchester United, who ended up beating Norwich City 3-2. Or should I say, Cristiano Ronaldo ended up beating Norwich City 3-2. Because he scored all three goals for Manchester United... Yet another Premier League hat-trick for Ronaldo. Yet another win for Manchester United on the back of his brilliance. All the other players, they were all right. Let's be honest, there wasn't any standout performance. But it just took Ronaldo's sharpness at the end of the day to convert all those three chances to get a few goals. And Elanga looked decent. Ronaldo, of course, the star performer. And the funny part is United conceded two goals against Norwich City. And Norwich City in the Premier League table are way, way down. They're just having an absolute shocker of a year. They are 20th with only 21 points. And yet, the defence were having such a hard time with them. So, goes to show the troubles that Manchester United are facing right now. But that's that. Let's hope that there is a bit of an end to that. Eventually, in the Premier League table, City stand atop. P1, of course. One point of a difference between them and Liverpool. Chelsea are third with 62 points. Tottenham with two games extra over Chelsea, uh, 57 points. So it's unlikely that they're going to close to Chelsea, 62. Man United are fifth with 32 games played and 54 points. Arsenal are sixth with 31 games played and 54 points. With West Ham, seventh, 33 played and 52 points. So that's the that's the kind of scenario that we can look at in the Premier League right now. But I'm very, very excited to see what happens in the FA Cup final that's going to come up rather soon. With Formula 1, Mr. Fantastic, we finally are returning to race weekends. And 
it may have only been one week, but it feels like a lot because the excitement in the first couple of rounds of the season was just beyond anything that we've seen so far. New generation of cars, a new pecking order, new drivers, new teams. Everything just feels super special. And that specialness is going to be carried along into Imola. It's a small small little town in San Marino. I mean, it used to be called the San Marino Grand Prix. It's actually in the Emilia-Romagna region of Italy. But this is officially the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix where this weekend we are going to see the Formula 1 sprint race return. So that's going to happen on Saturday. Keep an eye out on that. And the way it works is very, very simple. You have the qualifying session pre-pawned to Friday. So you have only one practice session. Then the qualifying, which used to happen on Saturday, is now going to take place on Friday. And that qualifying session will determine the grid order for the sprint race, for 30-minute 30, 30 sprint race on Saturday. And the order of that sprint race determines the starting order of the race on Sunday. I know it's a bit complicated. It just kind of adds a little bit more fun on the Saturday. So that's why Formula 1 is kind of doing this whole structure. And the top three get a few points. I think P1 gets three points. P2 gets second at two points and P3 gets one point. That's for the Saturday race. But normal points on Sunday, everything remains the same on Sunday. And it could well be another Ferrari win. It could well be that Red Bull could face more reliability issues. But that's the thing, right? It could well be that way. The, the way it is right now, teams are bringing in many, many upgrades, especially Mercedes and Red Bull right now. And that could change their fortunes a little bit. But the thing with upgrades is they don't always guarantee a lot of performance. So although one is expecting Mercedes to kind of have this big upgrade that takes them and Lewis Hamilton back towards the top of the grid, it may not materialize because upgrades look good in the wind tunnel, but sometimes they can be hard to execute on track and hard to make them work properly. So keep an eye on that. Keep an eye out on teams and how they fluctuate according to the grid order because last time out, Mercedes and Hamilton, they seemed closer to Red Bull and Ferrari, but again, they could well fall back down due to track characteristics. Track characteristics would also mean that Red Bull end up tipping Ferrari. Again, it's a big unknown. It could also mean that Haas returned to somewhere around P6 and P7. Again, a big unknown. It could also mean that McLaren slipped back down towards the other half of the grid. Again, a big unknown. So that's how the things are in Formula 1, right? It's, it's all a giant unknown which makes the races so much fun. And this weekend, I get a feeling that Carlos Sainz of Ferrari is going to start punching back up. He's lost a couple of races to Charles Leclerc and he's been by far and away the number two in the team for 2022. But remember, he beat Leclerc clean in 2021. He has the pace, he has the capability. I think this is where his season properly begins. And who knows, maybe Max, if he ends up finishing this race, we know for a fact that he's going to put a very, very tough fight to Charles Leclerc in his Ferrari. But folks, that's the preview for the Imola Grand Prix that's going to come up this weekend. Watch out for the sprint on Saturday. Watch out for the regular qualifying session on Friday. And of course, the race on Sunday, where I just think it's going to be a proper thriller. Because Imola is a fast-flowing, fun circuit where overtakes might be tricky, but the racing has traditionally been very, very good. That's all, folks. Bye-bye. Have a good weekend. Well, thanks so much for that, Somil. Amazing as always. And we can't wait to see how the Imola Grand Prix goes and if Hamilton has finally come to terms with not having a perfect car. Well, that's it from all of us here for this week. We'll be back next week. Till then, keep listening and tell us what you think about it. Remember to follow us and rate us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and catch us next week again. Till then, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Fantastic. Catch up next week. <laughs>